This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 168, Robert Farrington, The College Investor. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Have you ever heard the phrase, you've never been this old before, but you are also never going to be this young ever again? Hey, I'm Mark Willis, Certified Financial Planner and your host for today's episode. Yeah, so that phrase, uh, you've never been this old before, but you'll never be this young ever again. Boy, what a what a mind job that is. That's a moment where you realize that uh, this is the first day of the rest of your life. And one of the things I talk about on our interview today with Robert Farrington is just that. The number one thing in your financial life is not the rate of return, it's time. It's time. You can never be your age ever again. This is the moment when compounding can begin to work for you. It's not about timing the market. It's about time. It's not about timing. It's about time. Not so much about timing the market. It's about the volume of time you have to compound, and you'll never have this much time ever again. Boy, what a concept that is. So I can't wait to show you that interview, walk through that with you, some of the key concepts that Robert Farrington has. As the college investor who's been helping folks navigate student loans, investing, and wealth building now for over 10 years, there's a lot of free tools toward the end that I know you're going to want to know about. Before we get to the interview, though, I need to let you know we are hiring. Our financial firm, Lake Growth Financial Services, is gearing up to do some pretty big things in 2021, and we want you along for the ride. In fact, we've set up a very special business model where you can build your very own business for yourself, but not by yourself. We don't want you to do this alone. You know, no man or woman is an island, and you can reach your goals when you have the right help. We believe we've got a significant amount of mentoring, projects, tools, online courses, video content, resources, and more to help you reach out and build a true business that provides passive income for you and financial sanity for you and your family. It's a chance to build a very lucrative and exciting career path, which for many people has been very exciting and productive over the last few years. If you'd like to be a part of this and would like to apply, we basically have one more week to go. And you know, and I know that the second half of next week is going to basically be nothing more than a bunch of turkey and napping on the couch. So now is your chance. If you want to apply, just simply go to bit.ly slash work LG. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash W-O-R-K-L-G, work LG. That's the site to go to apply and See if you'd be a good fit for becoming a financial planning associate and joining our team of not-so-average financial associates. When you get a moment, do that before you forget about it. Again, the deadline is end of November uh, 2020 as we're recording this. We're going to start training in January, and we would love to have you on the team. So with that out of the way, let's get right into Robert's interview to learn more about ways you can grow and protect your financial future against the insidious disease of student loans. Take it away, Robert. Robert, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Hey, I'm excited to have you. I think this is not just a pertinent topic, one that's not going away, that's for sure. What are we at now in the world of uh, student loan debt? 1.6 trillion or more? 1.6 trillion. I mean, probably by the time this goes live, we've probably ratcheted up another 100 billion. Who knows, right? It's so sad, but like, it's just going. Oh. Yeah, what's 100 billion uh, between friends, right? You know? Uh, oh, so. <laughs> God. So, Robert, I want to start first with who, who is the guy on the other end of the microphone here? Tell us how you found your first dollar. How did you make oh. that first dollar as a kid? Yeah. So like one of my earliest memories of earning money uh, was in middle school, I had this great idea to sell candy bars uh, during break and lunchtime. And so uh, I convinced my mom to buy me like the 24 pack of like Snickers bars at Costco one time. And I broke them up individually, right? And then I sold them to all my friends for like a dollar at break and lunchtime. And it was great. I, I remember doing this. And so I, like, I would like double or triple my money and then I'd go back and buy another pack of candy bars and, and just keep repeating the cycle. And, you know, of course, the whole premise was I was trying to earn money to like rent a video game at Blockbuster to like yeah. totally date myself here. But, what's, you know, what's what? a Blockbuster like, for the young audience? No, I'm just kidding. Right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, but yeah, that, that was some of the, one of my earliest experiences I remember of earning money um, like 100% on my own there. And it was a lot of fun. Good for you. Well, something about childhood just sparks the entrepreneurial spirit and something about the school system, I think, seeps it out of us or get, drains it out of us. Uh, <laughs> Probably. Some, somebody once told me that the average, uh, the average 10-year-old has a higher net worth than the average college graduate. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> we have that the average net worth of millennials starts really negative. It's, it's kind of scary. So speaking of, student loans are a big reason why. So tell me yeah. how you went from selling candy bars to being passionate about student loan debt. A hundred percent accidentally, right? That's the story of the world. Um, no, but I've always been passionate about earning money, investing, uh, side hustles. I'd like to take my side hustle money. I started investing really early on. Um, I remember watching my dad too, like update Quicken on his like old PC, um, like when I was young. And so I was really interested and passionate about it. And so when I was in college, I started the website, The College Investor, um, really with my intention of sharing investing ideas. And that's what I started with, but nobody cared. <laughs> and uh, like who would take advice and in investing from some random college person, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't until I shared my own personal battle with my loan servicer that my website really started getting traction. And I shared a, a horror story I had where like they weren't applying my monthly payments right. And like I had to do this whole battle with them. And that was like one of the first articles that really took off. I got comments and, you know, traffic and it was getting shared around. And um, I mean, to this day, that article 10 years later is still highly trafficked, lots of people commenting on it because it is such a problem. And, and that's when this like kind of light bulb went off and it's like, I need to talk more about this. I think people really want to start investing and building wealth and that's great, but they're dealing with this huge burden of student loans and it's a challenge and there's so many problems and nuances and just, just, oh my gosh, it's everything we hate in the world. It's taxes, it's the government, it's debt, it's money. Like every kind of thing that's like a taboo topic almost and is all rolled up into one when it comes to student loan debt. And so I just started learning about it, talking about it, getting educated and helping people with it. And, you know, here we are 10 years later, you know, doing a lot of it. 
Wow. Well, first start with your own story, and then I would love to tease out some of the habits and techniques and strategies you used in your own personal story with student loan debt. So tell us the story. You, you yeah. were in college, uh, you left school, you had some debt, and that was yeah. your number one dilemma. It was. I mean, honestly, actually, it wasn't my number one dilemma, but I had $43,000 in student loan debt. And I was kind of oblivious to it, right? Like when I got the loans, I didn't really even take into consideration how much it was. Like, I remember those emails from the financial aid office. It's like, you know, congratulations, you have financial aid. Click here to accept. I clicked there. I hit accept. I scrolled through some terms and conditions and I was on my way. It didn't even occur to me like, what the implications of student loans were. I was just paying for school. I was just getting on with my day. Um, it wasn't until like after I graduated and I started having to make these monthly payments every month that it was like starting to be a realization of like, oh, this is not fun. This is not cool. And it was my wife that was really encouraging about it. Like we were engaged at the time. I got engaged pretty close to after graduation. And um, she was like, let's just get rid of this debt. And so between side hustling, and this time the blog wasn't making any money, but I was big into earning extra money. I was selling stuff on eBay. I was going to garage sales and estate sales and flipping things. And I was able to pay off that $43,000 in about almost three years, a little under, but uh, I was able to get it done. And it was all through working full-time, earning extra income, and just you know throwing all the extra money I had at it to get debt-free. Wow. Okay. So that's an important strategy for anyone listening. Increase your income. That may be one way to be student loan debt free, right? Increase your income, find multiple streams. A hundred percent. I'm a huge fan of just increasing your income, um, whether it's to get debt free, which I think is a starting point, but it never has to end. Like mm -hmm. earning extra income is one of the best financial tools that you can use to achieve any financial goal. Saving for a house, retirement, early retirement, getting debt free, uh, whatever. It, it's so fun. Like even to this day, if I see a deal, I will flip it on eBay because I just enjoy like I enjoy it one, but two, like I love having some extra money that just like you basically made out of thin air, right? Right. Well, good. So we, we are at a point where you've got your income growing, but tell us for the, for the not your average listeners, how do we manage this monster uh, of, a, uh, of a problem in our student loan lives? Like what, what are the different types of debt out there? That sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the hard part. So the biggest thing you can do when you're starting is just getting organized. Um, before we can even get to like the landscape, we have to know what we have. And I can't tell you how few people actually have laid out their student loans, know how many they have. The average graduate has five loans right? And it kind of makes sense, right? You get one your freshman year, your sophomore year, your junior year, your senior year. Maybe you had a fifth year or you took some summer school. So you might have all these different loans that you got to track down. Maybe you have different kinds of loans too. They don't make Perkins loans anymore, but maybe you had a Perkins loan or maybe you had a, you know, a, a grad plus loan or maybe your parents took a plus loan and you're supposed to help them. Like you got to know what you have. And just in this like you know, 20 seconds here, I've already named so many different types of loans. And that's the problem with this. The ecosystem of student loan debt is there's a lot of different loan types. There is another lot of different repayment plan options. There's potential loan forgiveness options. There's deferment options. And honestly, the, the loan servicers, all these companies, 
they're not your financial advisor. They right. are not here to be your friend or to help you. If you call them, I don't think they're necessarily out to get you, but I do think that you're talking to an $18 an hour call center representative that doesn't know who you are, doesn't know your financial situation, and frankly doesn't care because he's just getting through his day. So like, you have to go into it realizing that, and the only person that's gonna care about it is you, and you've gotta get organized and figure it out. Okay, so on your website, which is thecollegeinvestor.com, you have 30 passive income ideas you can use to build real wealth. I assume that that's a great strategy for paying off debt. But then you say, 100%. yeah, but then you say that, you know, there's sort of a, uh, a strategy of refinancing. Can you talk to me about what we do once we get organized? What do we do next? What's the very first step? The first step is to simply find the repayment plan you can afford, right? Because if we're talking, you just graduated, you know, maybe you're getting your job locked down, you're getting your income locked down. You're right after graduation is like a huge life transition for pretty much everybody, right? You're, you're probably moving somewhere, you're getting a job, you know, you're done with college, a new phase of life. So first thing is just find the repayment plan you can afford. For some people that might be an income driven repayment plan. And there's multiple income-driven repayment plans. These are income-based repayment, pay-as-you-earn, revised pay-as-you-earn, income contingent repayment. But the cool thing with these payment plans is that they set your monthly payment at a percentage of your income every month. And it's usually 10% or 15% based on your loan. But when you're just starting out, that can be hugely beneficial to you because you don't know where you're going to land a year after graduation. It takes some time. And the worst thing you can do with your loans, the absolute worst thing you can do is just ignore it, not pay it, kick the can down the road. Mm -hmm. That is going to be so detrimental to you. So number one thing is just find the repayment plan you can afford to make the monthly payment on every month until you get settled, you get a job, you find where you're going to be for the next few years. Then you can start determining the best way to eliminate the debt. And these programs, I'll tell you a quick story. When we were first leaving our grad school, we had three private school degrees between my wife and I in 2008. Mm -hmm. when we graduated. We had no right jobs. Right at the best time, right? Yeah, yeah the best yeah. time to graduate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, we timed it, you know. Uh, <laughs> no job, no plan to pay off the debt, no awareness of what was going on with our $120,000 of student loan debt between us. Most of that was on me and my graduate degree, but you know, we had a, we had a big, fat, hairy, scary problem mm -hmm. and you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. So where do we, you know, you're telling us to get organized. Um, is, is there any other like practical tips on where to find the information or how do we uh, collect and how do we just know our enemy, so to speak? Yeah. So, I mean, everyone has their own style and I, I don't want to just put a blanket statement out there of like, do this or do that, but like, get your loans all in a single place. Whether that place is an Excel spreadsheet, a pen and paper notebook, a personal finance software tool like Quicken or Mint. We created one on the College Investor called Loan Buddy. You can go there, you can enter all your information and find it, but you've got to put it all in one place in a system that works for you. Because I think we also ignore that aspect that if you're trying to do something that's not your style, you're probably not going to stick with it. Mm -hmm. So, Find something that is like your style to get organized and track those loans down, figure out what you owe so that you can make a rational d decision on what's the best repayment plan. Should I earn more money? Is my gap, you know, $100 a month and can I do that by budgeting or is my gap $300 a month and I need to go out and figure out if I need to 
figure out some extra income or do something more dramatic to close my budgeting gaps. So, you know, we've talked uh, offline about what we call the snow bank method of paying off our debt uh, rather than the snowball method of paying off our debt, uh, where you use a whole life policy to build up wealth and increase your liquid cash value and then use that policy then to wipe out the debts one at a time. Uh, you know, I guess I'm curious, is that a smart idea given what we've learned regarding um, student loan forgiveness, which is being bandied about on the debate stages of the, you know, uh, presidential debates? Uh, is that going to happen? <laughs> or should, we just, well, should we just ignore this debt and uh, let somebody else pay it off for us? I mean, honestly, the uh, odds of it happening are 0.0001%. Yes, it could happen, but it's not going to happen. Like, let's really be frank about it. The idea, though, that there needs to be some type of fundamental reform is, is a given, like we need to reform the system. And the reason is, is there's over 150 different repayment plans. Then you add in right now today, without any legislative changes in our system, there's over 50% of borrowers can get at least partial, if not total loan forgiveness. That's without any legislative wow. changes. Um, and I think that's, you know, not discussed as much as it is. So you already have programs, public service loan forgiveness. All of the income-driven repayment plans come with loan forgiveness. Uh, pretty much every state in the United States offers certain vocational or different types of loan forgiveness programs for their residents. Heck, I think Kansas offers you loan forgiveness just to move there. And I want to say like Massachusetts, if you just move there and work in engineering or STEM field, they'll give you like $5,000 in loan forgiveness. Like there's just so many programs out there that can help you. Um, and so when they say 50% of all borrowers can get something right now. And so student loans aren't going away. They're going to get reformed. They're going to get changed. They're going to get simplified because that's the problem is it's analysis paralysis. What do I do? What's the best repayment plan option for me? Do I qualify for these loan forgiveness programs? It's challenging to figure it out. There's so much to like know and understand and do. And that's what I think needs to change. Mm -hmm. But student loans aren't going to go away. The problem is you can't eliminate student loans without changing how you pay for college because like, let's just talk in practicality here. Like, let's just say you eliminate student loans in November. Okay, what about the kids that are like sophomores in college right now? How are they going to pay for school next semester? They're going to borrow money. Are you going to like eliminate their loans too? Or are you just going to make college free overnight too? Like there's so much logistics there that yeah. this whole eliminating student loan debt thing is it's a fallacy. But mm -hmm. I think there can be really solid reforms that make it better. And I think America has a big problem of getting something for nothing. Like that's just kind of like this American spirit type of thing. And all the loan programs right now, like you have to do something to get loan forgiveness. You could argue whether or not they should exist, but like, let's face it, public service loan forgiveness is 10 years of public service work. You know, we as a country say we value public servants, right? Teachers are important. And so you got to do that job for 10 years before you get the remaining balance forgiven. And you know, you're also paying for 10 years. So there might not sure. even be much of a balance left, but like, so like, it's not nothing, it's not something for nothing. Like you're putting in the work. And I think seeing that kind of program expanded something along those lines, I think that's more rational. I think something like that could take place mm -hmm. um, to make it less complicated, less confusing, more people eligible. I can see something like that happening, but definitely not like blanket, everyone gets their loans forgiven. Well, I've got a, 
a colleague and a friend who's a surgeon and he moved back to a underserved area uh, to, in, in fact, to do surgeries on underprivileged communities where his aim is, of course, to serve the people. And he has the added benefit of all of his medical debt being forgiven after 10 years. You know, so that is, yep. that is a choice he made. Um, I would say, you know, I heard, I heard uh, somebody else once say, there's no free cheese unless you're on the wrong end of a mousetrap. <laughs> right? That's so a great one. Exactly. If, even if we have free education, somebody paid for that, right? Somebody's still covering the expense. Uh, and f- un- unfortunately, even if we forgive the $1.6 trillion of debt, think of the bond market. Think of what would crash in the bond market if all those uh, bond investors didn't get paid back those monthly payments that they're receiving. You know, uh, think of what would happen to the university system and how many teachers would get fired, right? Totally. And that's it. And it's like, I I love that idea though. Like if you're going to, that's where it's like you get organized and then you can make a life choice. Do I want to be in public service for 10 years and get my loans forgiven or do I not? And I want to figure out another approach to paying off my debt. Like I like programs like public service loan forgiveness. I think it can be reformed to be um, easier to understand, more eligibility required, you know, things like that. But that's a great program. Like we, you, you do the work, and we'll help you out kind of thing. Cool. All right. So once we've got this debt, once we get organized, once we know, hey, this thing isn't just going to be waved goodbye uh, or magic wand waved and it's all forgiven, what do we do? How do we pick that repayment plan? Should we refinance the debt? Should we go with private loans? Uh, How about parent plus loans? Do we pay those (laughs) off first? Just kind of help us, you know, with some general rules of thumb. Yeah. So let's talk about the refinancing thing. So refinancing I, is kind of dangerous. It's like this, uh, and a lot of people don't think of it as dangerous, but when you take your federal loans and you refinance them into private loans, you lose these benefits we just talked about. You lose income-driven repayment plans. You lose forgiveness options and stuff. But refinancing could save you an interest over the life of your loan. So if you know you're not going to qualify, if you've made a choice that I'm never going to do public service, I don't qualify for any income-driven repayment plans, well, then maybe you look at refinancing your loans and saving that interest while you pay it off in whatever method you choose to pay it off. And that's valid. If you have private loans already, you know, go ahead and refinance all you want. Like you don't get any, you don't get any benefits for having those private loans anyways. Refinance away. Parent plus loans are the, the scourge of my existence. I don't right. know if they're the scourge of yours too because that, they're just even worse. So first off, if your parents took out a loan for you and you're the listener right now, realize you have no legal responsibility to that loan. Now you might have family drama connected to this repayment thing, but you don't have any legal responsibility. And I think that's the hard part is that a lot of families um, get into situations where mom and dad spent too much money, didn't save, and they have all this debt. And now the kid is left holding the bag of helping them. And either they help with the loans or they have to help with their life expenses later. So I, there's no right or wrong answer there. The answer is you got to work with a family together, figure that out. Every family is going to have a different situation on that. If you are thinking about getting loans for your children, please never do it. And if you do, come back to this show and, and realize that you should never have done it if you've got yourself into that. So we're recording this in early 2020. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. So we're recording this in uh, early 2020. What's the interest rate, roughly speaking, on um, Parent PLUS loans, private loans, student loans overall? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it definitely uh, varies. Let me see here. Best... Uh, 
student loan rate, but it's like four to six percent on average loan uh, right. uh, rate. So you know it, it varies. You know the best refinancing rates out there right now are down as low as one point nine nine percent, but those rates are also for very short term loans usually three to five years, their variable rate. I can tell you, so the a federal government undergraduate loan is 4.5% and a direct plus loan is 7% right now. A, uh, you know, so they, it varies 4.5 to 7%. And you know, that's on par with refinancing. Honestly, if you're going to borrow a loan for 10 to 20 years and you're not going to change the variables, you're gonna get that on a private loan. If you're gonna take a private loan for three to five years and you're a highly qualified borrower with great income, great DTI, all that kind of stuff, you might get down to two, three, maybe 4%, save a little bit. Um, but federal loans are a great deal. And if you're gonna borrow, they're the best way to go. And if you have them, most people, 95% of people should probably keep them. It's only in those rare situations you should refinance them. Wow. Good. Okay. Yeah. We are in a low interest rate environment right now. I'm reading here and this, this sounds very similar to what you read. So tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm reading that those interest rates are like 4.8% for undergrads, 6.4% for grad school, and then 7.4% for parent plus loans. Um, is that about what you had mentioned just a minute ago? Yeah, I have it for new borrowers this year. It's going to be 4.53% on the direct uh, undergraduate loans. So okay. yeah, it's close. Yeah. Sometimes. It varies. So every, every year that Congress sets the rates or, or it's, it's based on like the federal reserve, like notes that get bid in July or in May. And then in like July, they set the rates for the following year kind of thing. So we get a lot of people who say, Mark, you know, I got a guaranteed rate of return to pay down my debt. And that's an after-tax 44 to 7% return, right? Depending on the kind of debt you have. That's a guaranteed 4 to 7 Show me anything that I should invest in that gives me a guaranteed 4 to 7%. In other words, some people ask me, Mark, should I wait to be debt-free before I save for my future? What do you think about that? No. <laughs> I think you need to invest as early on as you can because you know what? You're right. It's, if you have a direct plus loan at 7%, the market returns 9 to 10. There might be fees involved, things like that. It's tough to say that you're going to exceed that, right? Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, the number one thing that matters is not the rate of return per se. It's time right? So time mm -hmm. is the game changer. You can never be 24 again. You can never be 30 again, whenever it is you're listening to this and starting it. So if you start at 25 years old, even if you can only put away $100, and you're probably going to put this in some type of tax deferred investment anyways, a 401k, an IRA, something. Um, even if you only do a small amount, that small amount has an extra 10 years to grow and compound over someone that starts at 35 or 45, even longer. And the amount of money you need to save to achieve a goal of, let's just say like an arbitrary number of like a million dollars at 65. Well, if you start at 25, it's like 300 bucks a month. But if you start at 35, I want to say you're up to like $1,500 a month to achieve the same financial goal. And it's all a question of time. Yeah, that's so, that's so right. You know, it's not about timing the market. It's about time in general. Yep. So I couldn't agree with you more there. Uh, we really do. We, we talk about the, the benefits of starting as soon as we can. I wish my whole life policies got, 
got started when I got my foot stamped by the doctor and got, you know, the social security number, you know, that early because time is the benefit to everything else. So absolutely. And the cool thing is too, as I was going to say, like most people get free money. So if you're like looking at your budget, you're like, I just, I don't know how I can save or invest. Well, I'd also challenge most people like, are you taking advantage of all your free money opportunities? These are things like a 401k match. Most con most employers match something into a 401k or 403b. Are you taking advantage of like HSA matches? So if you have an HSA a lot of employers now are giving like a thousand bucks into the HSA for doing stuff like getting a physical once a year. Like, so take the free money you got, even if you don't have a lot of other money in your budget, most of us have some type of free money that we can start investing with. So good. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Anytime you can pick up, and that also includes grants and scholarships during school. And I don't know if you caught this, but in the SECURE Act that just got passed, Robert, you probably saw this. You can now use your 529 plan for your sibling, or even if you have one yourself, to pay down your student loan debt up to $10,000. Oh, I do. I mean, I have a really in-depth article coming out oh, next good. week on it. <laughs> right? But uh, cool. yeah, when, when, it, when it makes sense and, and why it doesn't actually for Ooh. most people, but um, in certain states, like in... It could make, you know, you can actually, we were saying you're taking this after tax money. Well, now in certain states, you could at least take state tax free money mm -hmm. and, you know, pay down some of that student loan debt. Well, I look forward to seeing it by the time it's, uh, <laughs> this is published or but by the time this episode drops, that article will be up there. Uh, speaking of your website, tell us how our listeners can find out more about your, uh, all you're involved in and the resources they, that you've made available to everyone on your website. Definitely. So you can check me out at thecollegeinvestor.com. If you like to listen, we have our blog post transition to audio at the College Investor Audio Show. And if you want a tool that will just help you figure out the best path for your student loans, you can go to loanbuddy.us. We created this tool that's DIY. You can put all your loan information in there. And for free, I will tell you what you should do. And there, of course, there's upsells in there too, if you want to be a little more hands-off. So yeah. So the best websites for folks to go to then, Robert, is thecollegeinvestor.com for all of your resources and just a look into your own mind. And then if they want to participate and actually see their own numbers uh, on how to the very best way to pay off their student loans, that's loanbuddy.us.us. Perfect. Yep. Awesome. Check it out. Yeah. What's, what's one final piece of wisdom for those that are really just waking up to the fact that they got this massive student loan debt around their necks? What would you tell them to do first? You know, once you get organized, you make a plan, but the key is to work the plan, stick to the plan, don't deviate. You know, it, it doesn't feel good year one. No plan does, whether you're saving or paying down debt. It just doesn't feel like you're making progress. It's like working out at the gym, right? Month one feels like nothing, right? You've got to put the work in for a year or two years or three years, then you will see the results. So, you know, really just stay strong, stay motivated. It's a process wherever you're at in that process. Awesome. Well, it's over time, it works just like at the gym. It does. Just like everything else. Love it. 100%. It's just, you know, that, that first month, that first year, it just doesn't feel as good. But, you know, year three starts to feel pretty good. <laughs> Thank you, Robert, for everything you're doing and keep up the great work. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. I had a great time with Robert. Thank you again, Robert, for your time. And again, you can never be 24 years old ever again. Remember, it's not about timing the market. Like he said, it's about time. The volume of time you have 
is never going to be this much ever again. I had a friend jokingly say, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The more you use it, the faster it goes. <laughs> so never forget that you can never get back today and that we are as young as we'll ever be ever again. So now's our best chance to take the best control of our financial future. So that was the first and biggest takeaway I had from today's interview with Robert. The second was don't necessarily refinance your student loans if they are federal student loans, just to get a lower interest rate. You might be losing some of the income-based repayment plans or options for loan forgiveness if you move to a pirate loan. Oops, I mean private student loan. <laughs> the second piece is don't necessarily refinance your federal student loans just for a lower interest rate because you might lose some of those benefits and programs. The third takeaway I had was, according to the recent tax law changes that came through, if you have a 529 plan after you leave your education years, or maybe you've set up a 529 plan for your child, you now can use that 529 plan money to pay off your own student loan debt. Not too shabby, cool. So as one example, let's say you have a 7% a year student loan debt say worth 10,000 bucks because that's the most that they'll let you pay off. Let's say you also have a 529 plan for $10,000 and you're not thrilled with the returns or have faith in the market's ability to give you 7% of return on your invested assets inside that 529. You're losing 7% on your student loan. You're getting three or four or whatever percent in your 529. One option is you could use that 529 money to pay off your student loan and then start saving for your child's future in something more predictable and guaranteed like a bank on yourself type policy. Now, we've talked in other episodes about the value and benefits of saving for college and a bank on yourself type whole life policy, which I'll leave for other episodes to dive into deeper. But that's a quick and fun idea at the end of this episode, just a quick takeaway to look into your 529 plans and decide for yourself if paying off your debt with that money is more valuable than putting away for a future, maybe someday college for your kids. All right. Finally, we want to wrap up with just two quick announcements. There is a live upcoming live event happening and you are invited. A savings smackdown between team near-term savings and team long-term. Who's going to win? We're all bringing our best arguments, research, economists, and more are going to be involved. And you, we want you involved too. This is Tuesday, December 1st. 3 p.m. Eastern time, 2 p.m. Central, and bring your questions, bring your SmackDown, uh, or just listen in at the end of a workday. After all the phone calls and Zoom calls are over, I think you'll love this kind of high energy fun episode we're going to be doing on whether or not it's better to save for near-term stuff, you know, your vacations, your kids' braces, or save for those longer-term projects like retirement and kids' college. So come to that. It's Tuesday, December 1st. Finally, class is almost dismissed. But before I let you go, don't forget, we are taking applications to become a bank on yourself professional and work with Lake Growth as a financial planning associate. We don't do this often, but this is a moment when I feel like the world needs to know this message and we need more and really all hands on deck to bring financial sanity to a fairly insane world. And I believe as a regular listener of this podcast, you know enough to begin to start down the process of a very lucrative and exciting career. So give us a shout, go to bit.ly slash work LG. And that's the uh, link to go and apply to become a financial planning associate with Lake Growth Financial Services. 
All right. I'll leave you with that, guys. For the rest of the week, I hope you have a great rest of your week. And thank you for joining me for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.